0: Fantastic. So um, we're going to start a new series. uh, It's going to take us over the winter. God willing, that's the plan. Um, And uh, when considering what we should be doing, I must confess I felt slightly torn. Um, So I just decided to take two series and weave them together. Um, Over these next 15 weeks, the plan is that we will, um, every other week, look at a psalm. There's a particular group of psalms between a, a psalm, 120 and some 134 called the Songs of Ascents, Um, and um, we'll be looking at seven out of those, uh, 15 of those psalms. The main aim there really to bring comfort, strength, encouragement, um, which I think is very important over the winter months, especially. (laughs) And then we're going to interweave it. So every other week we're going to look at a parable that Jesus told. And it's hard to group together Jesus' parables in one specific theme other than saying they're surprising. So the aim is to give you an uh, alternate week of comfort and surprise um, over the winter. Does that sound okay? Okay, great. So hopefully that as we mingle them that way, um, together they will weave 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 in such a way that will be helpful and kind of medicinal and provoking where we need provoking and comforting where we need that and surprising where we need that. So that's the plan. That's what we're going for. And we're going to start with um, uh, one of Jesus' parables today. So if you've got a Bible with you and you'd like to turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8. If you have a Bible with you and you're not very familiar with it, maybe you're a new believer or you've just uh, never really got stuck effectively into the Bible and you don't really know where to find things. It's in the New Testament, which is the second half. The Bible split the two testaments, before Jesus, after Jesus. And the New Testament um, runs like this, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. That's how it starts. So the third book in Luke, who was a Gentile and a doctor, a physician, and he, he wrote his own account of Jesus' life based on eyewitness reports. So we're going to start in Luke chapter 8, verse 4. And then we're going to read down to verse 15. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he, that's Jesus, said in the parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock. And as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And he said these things, as he said these things, he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. When his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now, the parable is this the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in a time of testing, they fall away. And as, uh, as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who hear in the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your teaching, original, penetrating, Arresting. We pray, Lord, that it would have those qualities today as I unpack it and proclaim it. We pray, Lord, that by Your Spirit You bring these words to life again, afresh, that we would be able to understand clearly what they mean for us in 21st-century London. Lord, we were so divorced culturally and generationally from when You taught these things, yet thank you that your word is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword, and it cuts right into the heart of who we are. So please go to work through this word today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so this is really a parable that sets about Exposing the various conditions of the human heart. It's really what's going on there. Um, Jesus is saying um, that there's a varying conditions of the human heart, and that they are exposed by the way we respond to the message. Now, what we have here, we have the person sowing the seed, who is the person sharing the gospel, sharing the message. We have the ground, which is the person receiving the message, and then we have the seed which is the message, the word, the gospel. Now, in a nutshell, what is the message? What is the seed? In a nutshell, it is this. is that God has not left us to our own devices, but has rescued us. God has actually done something about the human predicament, and he has broken in and on a rescue mission for us. Now, the nuts and bolts of that rescue mission, to try to uh, kind of unpack it in a, in a concise way, is that he has sent his one and only son, Jesus, who has lived a perfect life on our behalf, died a sinner's death on our behalf, and then has risen from the dead on our behalf. Now in doing those things, Jesus has tackled every element that is a problem between us and God. Here's what I mean. Him living a perfect life deals with the problem that we don't, that we store up judgment by the way that we live, You know the things that we think, say and do, the things that we don't think, don't say and don't do, that we choose darkness over light, that we enthrone ourselves before Him, um, and that we follow the lusts and desires of our flesh rather than the impulses of the Holy Spirit. These kinds of things lead to a predicament, a problem of hostility before um, in our relationship with God. There is a big problem by these things. Jesus Jesus lives the perfect life on our behalf. He tackles that. So he doesn't just live a perfect life, which would be inspiring, but discouraging because well, where does it leave us? But he does it for us. Then he dies the sinner's death, which is completely unjust on one level because he's never done anything wrong. So why does he do that? Well, because of the way we live and the way our heart is set against God, we deserve a sinner's death. We deserve judgment um, and the wrath of God. And so what Jesus does is he stands in our place. He's judged in our place. If you like um, the debt that we owe God, he paid through his own suffering on our behalf. He was the sacrificial lamb, if you like. He, that's how the Bible describes him, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Okay, So he bore our sins in his body, the Bible says, so that it, on our behalf, and then the other problem is obviously death, that because the wages of sin is death and we sin when we die, that is it, we face eternal death, eternal punishment, um, and we are uh, cast away, if you like, from the love and affections of God and know only the wrath and judgment of God forever. Jesus, through his resurrection, overcomes the power of death so that, um, on our behalf, so that death for us becomes no more than going to sleep, okay? So what God has done is through Jesus, he has tackled every one of the problems that are affect our relationship with God. And he solved it. He sorted it. And he said, now you can come into all the benefits of what Jesus has done for you freely. Okay. That's why we call it a message of grace. It's not do this, this, and this, and you might get right with God. It's not pray this much, and it might be okay. Go to church, and God might be happy with you. That is not the message. The message is God has done it in Jesus. Okay? God has accomplished it. It's done every base that needed covering has been covered through Christ's work, and so that we can now be invited in freely to the victory of God. That's the gospel of the kingdom. And it's called the gospel of the kingdom because basically the message is that God, who is the, the Father, who is the King of the universe, has sent His. Son and established him to be king over the nations and king of all creation. Then he's established his son as king and lord of all with all authority. And this great king Jesus invites us to become his loyal subjects those who enjoy citizenship in the kingdom of light, the kingdom of life, the kingdom under Jesus. It's the gospel of the kingdom. It's like sin actually is, is, is not the ruler, Satan is not the ruler, Jesus is. And um, it's about an everlasting kingdom, and we are invited into that. Okay, That's the seed. Now, the parable we're going to look at in just a moment teaches that that message, that seed, is responded to in a variety of ways. And I I wouldn't be surprised if all around this from now there were different responses going on, because that's exactly what Jesus teaches in the parable. So I want us to look at each of the four categories, and I'm simply asking the question today, who are you? And I want you to ask yourself, who am I as we look at these categories? So category Number one, let's read it again. So I went out to sow his seed and as he sowed some, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air devoured it. And then he describes it, defines it in this way. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Is this you? It's very interesting that Jesus ascribes what goes on here to the devil's work. Very interesting. Um, It gives us an insight to how Jesus understood the work of the devil. Now, in the illustration, we've got this pathway. So the seed drops on the path, not the soil. First element to this is that there is a hard heart. Next, we hear that it's trampled underfoot by men. Now, scripturally, what does that mean? When it refers to being trampled underfoot by men, it refers to the life that is really lived under the opinions of others. It's lived under the sense of what's everyone else saying? Okay, I'll say that. What's everyone else thinking? Okay, I will think that. That is what is that is that, that phrase Jesus uses it elsewhere. He talks about Christians being salties. Christians are the salt of the earth. What does he mean? He means that in those days there was no fridges, and so to keep meat um, from going off, you would um, season it with salt. And he's saying you're the salt of the earth. You are here to keep the world from going rotten. That's one of the reasons why you're here. And he says, but what good is it if salt loses its saltiness? He said it's no good except. To to be being thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Ah, Why does he use that phrase there? Well, because if you lose your saltiness, you're no longer willing to speak up, to stand up, to disagree, to uh, play to a different rhythm, to give off a different aroma. However you want to put it, you're no longer in that place where you're living by conviction. You are just going along with what everyone else is saying and thinking. And, uh, And so that's being trampled underfoot by men. So we see here in this first category, there's a hard heart. Then there's being trampled underfoot under the opinions of others. And then there's this sense in which the birds just come and take it away which speaks of like a careless casualness to do with the seed the seed isn't treasured I want to just say look this this is you do not want to be in this category what does it mean to have a hardness of heart it means there's something in you that actually you don't want to believe the message that's actually what it's about it's not so much that you don't believe it you don't want to believe it something in you is like you know what I want to find arguments to dismiss this there's something in you that actually despises it You, you think I don't want or need this even if it is true, do you know what? I'm going to find ways of arguing why it's not. It's a hard heart. And um, the frightening thing is is that Jesus is teaching here that that condition, that heart that's like that, it is an open door to satanic activity. It is an open door for Satan to come in um, which throws a very different light on how the world presents it as it's. No, it's, it's you standing up for your rights and doing things your way. You know, how many funerals now have, 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 have the song being sung as the coffin comes in, I did it my way? As if, or wasn't that a good thing? And you think, ah, uh, I don't think it was. No, I think that actually what was going on there was that you were duped into thinking you were doing it your way. Satan was having his way. It's very sobering. Or maybe it's not so much the hard heart with you, but it is more. You're just totally driven by what others think of you. You think, you know what? Oh, if I do that, if I follow Christ, what will they say? how will my girlfriend or boyfriend respond what will my parents say and you you're driven by that that's the pervading way your mind goes as soon as you begin to consider Jesus and his claims and his kingdom your your mind goes over to that and it what happens is is that 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 um whole kind of desire to follow him or to get to know him or to find out more about Jesus is 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 crushed or is squashed under this mentality of i can't because how will i possibly look that person in the eye what will i possibly say it's a terrible way to live. You, that is not living by conviction. That is living. You're, just being, you're being blown around by just, just the current trends of thought. But even more frightening than that, Jesus is suggesting it's a satanic thing. How so? Well, here's, here's how. Because the Bible presents Satan as one that will influence the thinking and influence the opinions of people and create trends and fads and fashions that cause whole swathes of people to think in a certain way. And it's just seen as the latest thing and really cool. But actually, what it is, it's just a way of thinking that is against Christ. And so, as you buy into that, you actually become a slave and a victim of that. It's, it's, it, Jesus is exposing. No, this is what it is. Don't, it's, not, it's not cool, hip, trendy. It, actually, what it is, you're just a slave to what everyone is saying in this current, current age that we live in. And it changes from generation to generation, but it's really always the same thing. Anything to keep you away. From Jesus, whether it's a a huge, I don't know, like um, whole nations following dictators, like how the whole of the mindset in Nazi Germany was just kind of weird. How did that happen? How did this nation of intelligent people just get caught up in that? No one really knows still. No one can explain it. No one can explain how that whole nation just followed this man. It was a demonic thing. That's what was going on there. You're just able to just catch people up what is it in our time in our time it's this whole thing of kind of it's it, it's what i would it's what the, the the theologians describe as secular humanism it's this thing of the actually you know we can do it in and of ourselves to be part of an institution institutionalized religion especially something like christianity it's passe it, it just kind of it's just into brainwashing you know it, it's the absolute truth stuff that you just, that's what terrorists are made of and it's that whole thing it says no just, you've got to think for yourself and you know you've got to just come up with your own little thing and it's it, it's it's kind of marketed as the way forward the the new enlightenment and actually it's not new at all it's just going back to the garden of eden where satan said to adam and eve you can be just like god you can you can figure it out for yourself You can have their autonomy and it's just there's a slavery or then there's this third element whereby the birds come and snatch it away and what's happening here well there's just whenever something gets snatched it's because you haven't held on to it <laughs> That's basically what's happened. Just, I mean, you've not held on to it. You know, you go, a, you go into a shop, you've got a bike, you go into a shop, you think, oh, I'll only be five minutes, I won't bother about locking it up. I'll you know, be five minutes, you go in, you come out, and it's gone. What happened? There? You didn't guard it, you didn't protect it. Your attitude was, well, oh, you know, okay, well, well, I'm sure it'll be fine. And in the same way, this can be a satanic thing whereby God's message comes. This message that God would give his one and only son to die in your place, that you might have everlasting life. And your response is, Okay, well, you know, we'll see. That's, what what is that? Is I mean, surely not. Surely you can't respond. To, surely you either have to have to say, well, I need to find out about. Because if this is true, this is sublime. To just kind of leave it sitting on this kind of on the surface of this kind of hard heart, I and mean, we'll see what happens. Well, it will get snatched away. It will get snatched away. Why? Because of spiritual reality. Because Satan is at work to keep people from knowing knowing God. I want to just say, if this is you, please wake up. Say say graciously, kindly, please wake up to this and consider that it, it might not just be me brainwashing you. Consider that it might be true. <laughs> just, I'm just asking you to consider that, to even just give that some thought. And if this is people that you know, and we all know people like this, I may pray. Because it's more than just a mental thing. It's a spiritual thing. Yes, it's pray. Pray, God, lift that veil. (laughs) God, silence the lies of Satan in that person's mind. God, bring in your truth. Pray. It's so important. And then we have category number two. Let's read about category number two. Some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And then Jesus describes it like this. Uh, in verse 13 and the ones on the rock are those who when they hear the word receive it with joy but these have no root they believe for a while and in time of testing fall away so we've still got we've got a situation that looks very different it looks really different but actually it's the same what it looks like is, man, this person has received the word. This person is excited about the Lord. This person is probably talking about Jesus. Uh, when they hear, like, wow, I, I want to be involved in this. So count me in. There's enthusiasm. There's initial excitement. But it turns out to be actually a fad. That's what it t- it's a fad. So I mean, this is a different thing uh, than, than salvation. What it is, it's like, it's, you know, sometimes you, you discover a new restaurant and you find it. This is, this is great. I'm going to tell my friends about this. You become evangelistic about it. There's a great little place on the corner of Kentish. You've got to see it. Oh, man, the selection and the prices. You're evangelistic about it. You're excited about it. It's, what's happened there? You've been moved by it. You've been moved by an experience, but you're not changed. Yeah, you've been moved. It's just, wow, this was, was great. We've got to do that next week. You're excited. Speak about it. Tell your friends. You've not been changed. Or like a movie, maybe you see a movie, you think, oh, this is, you're weeping one minute, you're laughing the next. Yes, let's pause, we've got to get coffee and chocolates out, because we've just got to enrich it even more. This is an amazing experience. It's, but that's, it's an experience. It's an emotionally charged experience. But when the film finishes, you leave, and you are the same. And again, you may be evangelistic about it. You've got to see that movie. It's a crime. Oh, we laughed. We cried. We don't know what was going to happen. It's the twist at the end. But you're still you. Jesus is saying this is some people's response to the gospel. It's all, oh, wow. This is, I went along and the songs. Whoa. And the people. Oh, and the, the guy spoke. And I just thought, yeah. I'm, oh, you've got to come with me. You've got to come along. This is amazing. And then a bit of hardship comes. Yeah, and then, and then it's like, whoa, whoa hold on. Where'd they gone? We'll never see them again. Why? Jesus said there's no moisture. And then later on he says, well, there's no root. What's he saying there? He's saying that actually it was superficial. It was shallow. Something really shallow happened, and it was confused with something deep, but it was shallow. And no power for life change, but really just a kind of, it was a moving experience. See, the idea is, is that this seed goes into the very depths of who you are. It hits, this message hits the nether regions of your selfishness, of your idolatry, of all these things that make us what we are as sinners, that this seed goes in and brings transformation in those depths. That's the idea. Jesus is saying, in this case, it just didn't, it didn't happen. Why no moisture? Well, because you see, the root needs to go down deep. You see, the idea is Jesus explained it like this. He said, when you come to know him, it will be like a spring of living water opens up from the inside and bubbles up. New life, the spirit of God, illustrated by living water bubbling up. Whoa, there's moisture there. There's more, something deep has happened. You've been changed at the center of who you are. It's the gospel doesn't just join in with the many other things that are orbiting around your life, around the central thing, whether it's most likely yourself or something else. Just joins in and you add a bit of that on. No, the gospel comes in to be central. Jesus comes in to rule and to reign. Category two. Now we go to category three, which is when we all start to tremble. Because Category 3 leaves the theologians scratching their heads. Is this person saved or isn't he? And they all disagree. Because it's, it's enigmatic. I don't think Jesus told the parable in order to make us scratch our head over that. I think he told the parable that we might search our hearts and make sure we don't become this person. It's frightening. Let's read. Some fell among thorns and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And then later on Jesus says, As for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. So let's just unpack that. Firstly, the cares of life. That word means distractions. It's just, if you just shake yourself for a minute. Let's, let's, let's engage on this. The distractions of life. There's a lot to distract, right? Work. Study family wider family relationship things going on debts bills to pay uh there's a there's a lot going on. opportunities rejections to handle interviews there's a lot there's a lot to distract am i right there's a lot in life. that's just like, okay, this and then this and then that, and um, uh, it's the cares of life. and And what can happen is if you really see this manifested in two ways. The first is this: is that it, 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 it's mania, okay? You it's just mania. The life is a, it becomes a head revolving mania. It's like, oh, oh that, and I've got to do that, and then I put my hope in that hope that pans out, and I've got a thing there, and that's looking good, and it, and it's just becomes a. Uh, and what is God saying? Be still and know that I am God. I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Every day of your life was written in my book before one of them came to be. That's what God says. And you're going here and you're going then. and you're trying to sort this and fix that and make that happen. At this point, I'm not endorsing a life of simply sitting there and simply entirely just meditating on scripture, and everything will happen. But I'm talking about getting something settled in your spirit, and your activity coming out of that. The other effect of being of the cares and distractions is you become careworn. You are the person who life becomes a to-do list. You're working through chores. I've got to do that, then I can move on to doing that. Then I'll try and grab some sleep, but not too much, because I've got to do that. Oh no, I'm too scared to check my inbox, because it will just make the list longer. What's happening there? What's happening is you're becoming careworn. The cares of this life have, become, have filled your horizon. You've lost the bigger picture. You've absolutely lost what it is Jesus came to do in your life. Jesus says, I've come that they may have life and life in all its fullness. That's, the, that's what God speaks into that. Stop. But I might disappoint. Stop. But I might not want to let. Stop. 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 Settle some things. Why? Because this, if you let it, will choke your life. It will choke the work of God. The fruit will not come to maturity. You will become either a maniac or a depressive. Or both. What was the second thing? The second thing was riches. Riches. It is a very unusual soul who is able to handle riches and be a Christian. Bottom line. A very, there are some, (laughs) but they're not many. There are some. But for most, for many, according to Jesus' teaching, this is not my opinion, according to Jesus' teaching, it is harder for a rich person to enter the kingdom than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. He was saying something pretty strong there. Hear that. That's quite an extreme illustration, isn't it? (laughs) Needle. Camel. Let's just stop and not, because it's very famous, isn't it? Let's just stop for a moment. Needle. Even a bobkin. And they're a bit bigger than your average needle. Slightly bigger hole. Camel. It is easier for a rich man, for a camel to go to the eye of a needle, through you go, than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Is this saying that you cannot be rich and be a Christian? No. What is it saying? It is saying this. It is very, very difficult to be rich and a Christian and maintain the right priorities. Why? Here's why. When you got a lot of money, you got a lot of security in quotes. You got a lot of options. You've got a lot of opportunities. You can go there. You can see that. You can do this. You can help there. You've got much fewer anxieties. There's a, re- a recession. Okay, there's a recession. It's not really going really to hit me. Kids, they want to go to university? No problem. Private school? We don't like a local comprehensive school? No problem. We can just pay for them to go there. Okay? There's a, it, the, lot, a lot of anxiety is taken away, a lot of options are given. It's a, there's a, and it can just, the human heart being what it is can just say, gee, this is great. <gasps> and what happens is is that that which is seen begins to overtake that which is unseen because when you've got that kind of life and opportunity and resource to be able to for faith to grow in that realm so that what is unseen becomes more visible than what is seen and so it, and so what happens is is that you begin to just invest radically in the eternal kingdom man that is unusual Man alive, that is a very unusual thing. Jesus is saying that's exactly exactly what he's saying here. That riches very often prove to be a weed that chokes what God is doing. Now, there are instructions throughout scripture about what to do if you're rich. And it's things like this. Some people give it all away. You will not be able to handle it. It will get your heart. Give it all away. That must be true for some today. It must be. Why? Because it was true for some in Jesus' day and people haven't changed. People are the same. So for some, it's give it all away. You saw it with the rich young ruler in Mark 10. You saw it with people like C.T. Studd in the 19th century, a very famous cricketer, very, I mean, household name, and uh, just loads, loads, I think he had like estates, inheritance. He just gave the lot away. For him, this is the only way I'm going to really follow Jesus by doing this. For others it's different. It's that there is a grace for them to become philanthropists, for them to become those who do good for the kingdom with their money. Those who just doesn't get a place in their heart. They just they become like conduits. They just become like conduits. Money just goes through them, and it's like, yeah, just keep it coming up. i just, I don't love this stuff. I love Jesus, and it just they're investing in things of the kingdom. That's why it can happen, and it can be done. Hallelujah! But for many, it becomes a weed, and so because it becomes a weed for many, I want to warn some of you against it. And 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 even if you're that person who is able to handle it, I want to say this to everybody: Do not pursue wealth. Time and time again, the Bible says, do not pursue wealth. You will hear Christians teaching you to pursue wealth. They are deceiving you. They are preaching against scripture. Never, ever is anybody ever even close to becoming encouraged to pursue wealth. You are warned against it. It will either become like chasing the wind, or what will happen is it will, it will pierce you with many a pang. You will, be, you will fall away from the faith. Pursue God. pursue pursue the kingdom and his righteousness pursue those things first everything else will be added to you if God has got that for you if he's got that lifestyle of resource and much for you then seek him first why because that will get the soil of your heart right and you'll be able to use that for his kingdom it's so important It's so, so important. I want to urge some of you away from the love of money. I want to urge some of you that have been around Christian scenes that have actually endorsed the love of money to take that back, put it under the spotlight of Scripture and ask yourself, does the Bible teach this? No, it doesn't. It will choke you. Final weed. Pleasures. We live in the world's capital, don't we? I saw it advertised on the billboard just the other day. London, the world's capital. We're now the world's capital. No longer just the capital of England. We're the world's capital. Now, do you know that? I don't know if it's official, but I I, I took it as official. (laughs) Oh, great. I live in the world's capital. There is nothing that you can't get in this city if you look hard enough. There's nothing you can't get. The greatest food. The kinkiest sex. The most sublime experiences of sensual pleasure. There's nothing you can't get. Let's just be real. Let's just be honest. It's all there. That word pleasure means sensual delight, and for many, it just—it's where they fall. They just get choked in their growth because there's some element of their self, where they feel that, you know what, I just, I can't do without that. I must have that. And it's, an, it's idolatry. It's idolatry. And so there's going after this thing, but it just becomes, it, 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 First of all, it's explained away. It? it always isn't there. We always justify. We explain away. No, but it's just this. It's, I'm, I'm a human. You know what, what? else? And we've got these little things lined up in our mind to, to really open fire on our conscience. If our conscience dares speak up, you know, shut up. This is, you know, we're ready. We're ready. We're armed and dangerous, you know. Um, and, and so we, we, and we do and we get us into something and then we think, why is it now? Why is it that my that spiritual uh, t- uh, taste buds, I've lost all pa- my palate, has gone, I can't. What is, what's happened there? Why is it that my desires after God, they just feel, oh, you, what's happened there? You've backslidden. You've, this thing's become a, ch- a weed. It's growing up with the word. It's growing up. But it doesn't just grow up in parallel, it grows up and it chokes. It's like, well, gradually. It's like these, these, um, these snakes that they just, they're wrapping themselves around once, they'll wait. And then when the, when the creature that they wrap themselves around, when that creature then breathes out a bit more, then it constricts again. Then they wait, and then when it, Breathe out again, that, the, the lungs are depleted some more, again, until the thing is dead. That's so what it's like. We go around once, okay, we go around again, and it's like this with the pleasures of, the, of this life. There's, what does the Bible have in its arsenal? What does God have to say about this? Firstly, the pleasures of God are more deeply satisfying than any pleasure this world has to offer. And if you drink at the fountain of delights in God, you will find yourself feeling very differently about the pleasures of this world. They will fall into their proper place because some of them in and of themselves are not wrong. They just need to be redeemed. Okay. It's not, this isn't an anti-pleasure talk. Okay. This is a talk about, let's get into the pleasures of God. Let's get ourselves delighting in him. Let's get ourselves feasting on him because that puts it right. The Bible never attempts to say that sin is not pleasurable. In fact, it frankly admits that sin is pleasurable. Very frank, very honest. Sin is pleasurable. That's why we do it, isn't it? Isn't that why, would we do it if it's really horrible? Can you imagine that? I fall into sin again, you know? I was feeling really bad, so I thought I'd do something to make me feel worse. Well, that doesn't that wouldn't work. It was crazy, you know? What do we say? We say, oh, you know, I was feeling low and I just wanted to, just a bit of pleasure, a bit of escapism, yeah? Cause, and it was pleasurable, yeah. So why are you looking so down? Because it proved to be a lie. It proved to be fleeting. It proved to leave me in a worse state after than what it promised before. That's how it works, isn't it? It's pleasurable, but it's fleeting. It's a lie. You know, here's the other thing the Bible has to say about it, that it's incompatible with the pleasures of God. God is against sinful pleasure. Pleasure that is idolatrous. Pleasure that really just wants to win our hearts. Pleasure things where God says, no, that is going to harm you. Which is the other thing. Sinful pleasure is destructive. It destroys you. It destroys your affections. It destroys your, even your intellect. It destroys your moral power. It destroys your convictions. And it destroys those around you. It's just sobering stuff. And some of you might be saying, I wish I hadn't come today. He's making it worse. He's just making this whole thing worse. At my defense, I would say this. I think what I'm trying to do is simply unpack what Jesus has taught because I want to show you the thing for what it is. So you see, this is what it is, man. This is what it is. And you get to see it. This is choking my spiritual vitality. I want to pull this thing out. I tell you what, I've done some weeding this year like I've never done weeding before. We've got a garden. Thankfully, most of it's patio, but there are some naughty bits with true life soil in it. And it's like, oh man, I tell you what, I had to dig these things out. I came up once, I just dug them. i got this trowel thing and sliced them a couple of inches under the surface. All well, that will do, they will learn from that. Two weeks later, they're bigger than ever. So I thought I'll go down a bit. I'll, I'll find the root. Well, I got down about that far, about I don't know, about eight inches. And I thought, there's no sign of this root. I thought it's probably the roots in Australia or something, you know. So I thought I'll whack it here, and then that will sort it. They'll they'll think twice, you know. A month or two later, boom, there it is in all its glory. I thought right. I took this thing I, I don't know I broke trowels I, I, I broke trowels I thought I'm going to get you I don't care what I think well I'm going I'm going at it and suddenly hit this thing that feels like rock it feels like I thought, it feels like rock but it's just a bit softer and it's huge so I have to go all around it and I end up pulling out this gross I thought I've got to save this and show Davina it's disgusting I mean you know I'm a real romantic like that and uh <laughs> I thought, this is vile. It was this huge, hard, knobbly, gross thing that was really the source of this thing until I got that out. And I knew it in my heart. Until I got that out, these things were just going to keep coming. I thought, I'm going to go right around it. I'm not going to let any bits get away and even broken bits. You, know, sometimes you slice it, a bit's broken off. Well, like, oh no, I know what you're going to do. You know, I know now, I'm going to get you out. And, it's, and, and I'm going to get these things out. That's what, that, that's what repentance is a bit like sometimes. Not just, oh, I won't do that again. Or oh, it, 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 You're just slicing it at the surface. You say, I'm going to learn to hate this. Mortify it. Kill it. Get it out. Because it's killing me. It's killing my soul. It's radical. I was reflecting on many things, as I often do. do tend to overthink a bit. But I was reflecting on just a Christian life the other morning, thinking about, where have I seen my greatest victories, really? where have I, what, What's been the key? You know? And I think I, I came to the conclusion, I think the key has been a real radical devotion, cultivating a really radical devotion to Christ that must be twinned with a radical hatred for anything that will get in the way of that. That's really been the key, if I'm honest with you. Um, I just want to. Th- this is what Jesus is talking about here. Get those things out. We're going to finish to looking at the fourth one. Don't we want to be the fourth one? A hundredfold multiplication. This is good. <laughs> this is like the gospel comes in and what comes out over, over your life, okay? <laughs> not, over, not, in the, not in two weeks, over your life. What comes out is a hundredfold. Whoa, what's, whoa how's this opened up? Doors are opening here over years. You see, I want to show you three things, Jesus, says and we're done. Firstly, he says it, it drops into a good. And uh, uh, and an honest heart. Let's read it. Sorry. Um, We did all the others. Let's read this one. Psalm into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. Then he says, as for that good soil, there are those who hear in the word, hold it fast. First of all, they hold it fast. There's no neglect, okay? There's no sense of, oh, okay, we'll see what that... No, I'm going to hold this fast. This is my life now. This gospel, this is what I'm about now. This is me now. I'm, I'm guarding and I'm protecting this and I'm going to nurture, cultivate and guard this. I'm going to hold this thing fast. So it's held fast in an honest and good heart. That word honest means beautiful, in a beautiful heart. How? A beautiful heart. What, is, what, is God, what would God find beautiful? Here's what he would find beautiful. A childlike heart that says, yeah, that really is it, that message. That's the one. I'm going to be all about that. I'm going to turn away from being duplicitous from being a bit of this and a bit of that and holding this and holding that and kind of trying to walk two kinds of roads or be two kinds of people. That's it. There it is. Beautiful heart. This is a good heart. How can it be a good heart? Romans 3 says, there's there's none who does good. How can you have it in a good heart? It's the work of grace. It's the work of God's grace that transforms a heart. It's the miracle that turns a heart from being evil to being good. It's what the gospel actually comes to do. Don't ask me how this works. Don't ask me for dynamics. No idea. But what I know is this. God is saying he wants to make our heart brand new. He wants to give us a beautiful and a good heart that holds this thing. And then I love this. Bears fruit. What does he say? What's the phrase? Bears fruit with patience. That word patience means cheerful endurance. Happy, confident, cheerful, hopeful endurance. Now, why? Here, why is there in this person who's received the gospel this way, how is there such thing as happy patience? Anyone here struggle with impatience? All right, now is there such thing as happy? I'm really enjoying waiting for this. This thing that I really, really want more than anything in the world, I'm really enjoying waiting for this. This is a this is a great wait no 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 rush what is going on here here's what it is the person who gets the message, they get, they understand. This gospel message has got multiplication written into the very DNA of the thing. It's all about growth, it's all about expansion, it's all about transformation on every front. That's what it's about. It's not just it doesn't just sit there, it's about multiplication. So it's taken in this gospel, it's gonna be a gospel that is looked to run throughout the whole earth and to bring glory to God by touching many people's lives. So it's so it's gonna run, it's gonna grow. It's like the acorn, see uh, the, you know, the oak kind of the, the seed of the oak which Which is just there's a little thing, but within it is the DNA for this incredible thing. It's the same with the gospel. Okay, in it is the DNA to become this incredible earth filling thing. And so, because of that, the person who goes on with God with this heart that is just kind of the soil's clear of those weeds and it just following the Lord. There's why are they so cheerful as they carry on? Because they know as they keep their heart right, it is inevitable that there will be multiplication. It can't not. The thing cannot grow except by what weeds. Oh, except by what? A superficial heart. Oh, you get your heart right, the thing has to grow. So why are we cheerful? Because we know it's going to happen. It's simply, it's going to happen. Now it may take weeks for some fruit, years for others, but we know it's going to happen. So I'm going to finish by asking this question: How do you get? How do you cultivate that kind of a heart? What you do, you take the other three categories, and you make sure that none of those things are you. As you do that, you end up with that. You fight against one, two, and three, you end up with four. Now, the question is, isn't that a bit negative? You're just telling me that if I just kind of say, no, 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 no to that, I end up with this. How does that work? Here's how it works. You say no to a hard heart, what are you saying yes to? A soft heart. It's not just that you're saying no is a saying yes. You say no to the fear of others' opinions, everyone being trampled underfoot. You are saying yes to living by conviction. You are saying yes to, I want, I'm concerned what God says. You say no to, kind of holding the gospel in a casual way, well, we'll just let it go. You're saying yes to, I'm going to guard this with my life. You say no to being superficial and simply sentimental and nostalgic about your Christianity. And it's just kind of, I just want to move an experience. You say no to that kind of shallowness. You are saying yes to depth. You say no to the cares of this life, you are saying yes to trust in him. You say no to the riches of this life, you are saying yes to eternal riches. You say no to the pleasures of this life, you are saying yes to the pleasures of God. The result is what? A heart that is clear from those things, whereby the gospel can grow and multiply. Hallelujah. Come on. That's what God wants for us. That is what Jesus was getting at with the parable. And the whole aim of it was so that you might search your heart, and when need be, do real repentance. That you really say, this is all wrong in this area. The way I approach and think about that is all wrong. Oh, I want to deal with that now. How do you repent? Well, you, you recognize it, you bring it before God. I would say the vital part about being part of a church is that you can then confess your sin. What does the Bible say? Confess your sins to one another and be healed. There's confession among beloved and trusted brothers and sisters. It's not like, a, you know, not like the deal where you go and see the priest. We're all priests, right? You go to a trusted brother or sister, you say, look, I'll talk to you about this. There's prayer. There's power given by the Holy Spirit to overcome. There's gospel-centered accountability. Not just let's talk about our sins. Let's talk about what Jesus has done and how we can overcome those things. There's honesty, vulnerability. We work these things through and our heart gets cleansed from those weeds and we begin to walk in more and more fruitfulness. That's what we want, isn't it? Let's just be before God and let you guys just have a chance to, just for the Holy Spirit to, you know, it doesn't all happen in a moment, does it? But it's it's important at the end of a message to just have a bit of a chance to just respond before the Lord.